All right, amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And that's why we're here today, Lord, recognizing that you first loved us and we are merely responding to your love, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us in our inner person, that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, Lord. And I thank you that nothing will separate us from your love. Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, demonstrating your love for us that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And Lord, as we consider your attributes, who you are and what you've done, all we can do is say thank you, Lord. We thank you not only with our lips, but we thank you with our lives by presenting our lives to you now and saying, Lord, here we are, take us, we are yours. Mold us, shape us, use us, send us, whatever your will may be. That's what we ask this morning. And as we get into your word, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be sensitive and receptive to every bit of the truth that you have for us today. Minister to us, Lord, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. Before you sit down, can you say hello to someone, please? All right, everybody, come on in. Have a seat. If you're not seated already. So we are going to be in the book of Luke this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. And we'll be tackling the scriptures from verses 29 to 36. And while you're turning there, and by the way, if uh, you need a Bible, there's Bibles underneath uh, the seats. So one really big announcement, it was really a, a prayer request. I got all your attention. I can see that. <laughs> I can see you going into like announcement mode, like not listening. And then I said, I do, I do have a really big announcement. So today after church, someone in our congregation is going to have a baby. So, as she's sitting right there. So, Nicole is going to the hospital after this, right? Seven tonight, and is going to have a baby. So, uh, I thought we better pray for Kyle and Nicole. So, why don't you come up? It's a pretty big deal, don't you think? Okay, it's okay to cry. Yeah, we'll all cry. So you're going to have a baby today. Today, tomorrow. Yeah, somewhere. But we, let's pray. And also, uh, Stephanie Miller just had her baby, too, like a few days ago. So on the 15th. 15th, okay. All right, so let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. We know that uh, every, every child, baby, is precious in your sight, and Kyle and Nicole are precious in your sight, and you've given them favor, Lord. You've given them a blessing. We all have seen how you've worked in their life and through their life, and them having a baby is just a, a, a reminder of your grace and your mercy and your goodness, Lord. What a precious gift. And so we pray for Kyle and Nicole. We pray 
for um, strength and endurance. We pray for a healthy delivery. We pray that your hand would be upon every bit of what's going on um, at the hospital. We pray for the doctors that you would divinely guide them and the nurses as well. We pray for this baby that uh, we would even uh, at this moment dedicate this baby to you, Lord, and say, this is your, your baby, Lord, and help uh, Kyle and Nicole raise this baby in the ways of the Lord. Give them wisdom and understanding to do that, Lord. And we pray for Luke, um, the baby's brother. Uh, Lily's the baby, right? Yeah. Lily. We pray for Luke, um, that he would be uh, blessed and a good big brother and help him through the adjustments. And so we love you, Lord, and we're so grateful. And to you be the glory, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Love you, bud. That's kind of a baby dedication, too, Sada. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. So I don't know if we need to do the baby dedication. I think, think we're covered there. So now you can glaze over, and I am going to do some boring announcements, but maybe some things you do need, need to know. Not quite as exciting as that. So here we go. So tomorrow night, women's ministry here at the fellowship, 7 o'clock. Wednesday night, probably going to finish the book of Galatians, but we're, I'm determined to finish. But, but we're in some really, really amazing scriptures. I encourage you to come out or listen. Um, the book of Galatians has been, I mean, we've only been in it for a few weeks, but Apostle Paul goes really deep into explaining the gospel of grace and I think that our whole church, we need that. We need a, a better understanding, a deeper understanding, and maybe just a fresh understanding of the gospel. And so um, if you haven't been able to come, I'd encourage you to listen to those messages. But this, uh, this Wednesday is sort of, this, it all comes to a crescendo and uh, what the gospel is all about. So that's going to happen. Um, if you want to read ahead, we made it to verse... 15 of chapter 5. So uh, read ahead starting in chapter 5, verse 16, and uh, go through chapter 6. The men meet Saturday at 10, uh, at 1085, right down the hall there. So that's that. Last week I announced, I'm going to uh, announce again in the next couple times, that we have our date for our baptism that we do once a year at Lake Grapevine. And uh, this is uh, an opportunity for anybody who is a believer and has not been baptized to get baptized. And also, this is an all-church event where it's a picnic and a chance for you that uh, are not being baptized to go support those who are going to be baptized. But I know it's a, it seems like a long ways away, but just to save the date because... I know that's a time a lot of people like to go on vacation and things like that. So just wanted to get that date out there for that. And then our next corporate church prayer meeting. It's another save the date. We're doing this once a month on Thursdays. And it has been going really well. I've been calling it the engine of the church. But I also want to, I have a new, new thing I want to call it also the I got this kind of from Dave, the fireman over here, the mitochondria <laughs> of the church, the mitochondria of the church. You guys know what the mitochondria is? The powerhouse of the cell. 
It's amazing how ninth grade biology just sticks. But yeah, it's been going really great, and um, just encourage you to come out. It's the third Thursday of every uh, month. It's uh, from seven to eight, and it's uh, March twenty-first is going to be the next one for that. So let's uh, turn our attention to Luke chapter twenty or chapter eleven, verse twenty-nine. Through 36, we left off last time speaking about in Luke 11, 28, where Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. This morning, the title of the message is Hearing and Keeping the Word of God. It is a bit of a warning text for us as Jesus expounds on that statement about hearing and keeping the Word of God. It's always good to take a step back for a moment and just kind of take inventory of our own life. And one way to do that is to consider the role of the Word of God in our life. In John 8, 31, it says that God's Word is truth and the, word, and the truth will set us free. And if we continue in His Word, we're His disciples indeed. How are we a disciples? Is by continuing in God's Word. In Hebrews 4.12, one of my favorite scriptures in regards to explaining what the Word of God is, it says that the Word of God is living. That's different than any other piece of literature there is in the world, reading material, anything else. The Word of God is in a different category one of the ways to describe that category is that it is alive. That it is God through the Holy Spirit, through the words of our scripture, speaking to our hearts and our spirits and our souls in a personal, lively way. And that's why it says that his word is living and it's active. It's always working. It's not just working In our minds, it's working in our hearts as well. It says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It is a, get this, discerner. That means it's it's a judge. It tells the difference. It's able to discern right and wrong. The Word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents, our intentions of our heart. Now that is jam-packed with so many things that the Word of God is and does, but suffice it to say it is the great treasure that God has given us and it is the expression of who He is, what His will is, And what we are to do in regards to that. And so how is your, how is my relationship with the word of God? 
how is my interaction with the word of God? And that's why we don't apologize for having the word of God front and center in everything that we do and teaching from the word verse by verse, line by line, because this is the authority. This is the voice of God. And we don't need our opinions and our authority. We need God's authority within the church. As we look at what Jesus is going to say, we are looking at warnings because of the improper interaction with the Word of God, a way of denial, rejection, excusing it away, which is very common in in our society in regards to the Word of God. There are a lot of things that people, even well-meaning Christians, replace for the the Word of God, supplement for the Word of God, add to the Word of God. And this was much of the problem that was going on in Jesus' time. If you'll notice in chapter 11, as Jesus is dealing with this particular issue of the failure to properly respond to the Word of God, we as we look at this warning and how radical it is, you look at verse uh, 14. In verse 11, we'll sort of tee up this message a little bit. And this is really what Jesus is dealing with. It says, uh, as, and Jesus was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon had gone out, that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. So what was was going on and what we're talking about today is in context and in relationship to what just happened. So Jesus cast out a demon. This is not an isolated incident or an isolated miracle. Jesus, his whole ministry has been about doing all sorts of different kinds of miracles displaying his authority and his power over various things to demonstrate that he is God, he is the Messiah, and he is over all things, that he is all-powerful. And so the crowd reactions, that's what's always interesting. We see the consistency of Jesus and the things that he does. What's inconsistent is the reactions, and that's very typical of society and mankind. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are the ones who vary in our response to him, even in a setting like this, or especially in a setting like this. There's going to be different responses. The word of God will be the same, but there will be different responses. And this is what we see with Jesus. So we see the crowd marveling. So there's a a, a crowd there, a lot of people And what Jesus did was very notable. It was something where it was not expected. It was out of the realm of the things that human beings do. And so the people were ooing and aahing, but that doesn't always mean that the people are going to submit to the word of God. So watch this. So here's some of the different reaction. Some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub or the devil. And then others, testing him, that word testing means in a sarcastic type of way, 
they sought from him a sign from heaven. So two different responses. Those two different responses are what Jesus is dealing with. Two different ridiculous responses. The first, Jesus had already dealt with that, and we talked about that last week, is they're saying that this demon that was cast out that was obviously doing harm to this individual... And as this demon was cast out, the individual who couldn't speak because of the demon now was able to speak. So obviously something good happened there. And the excuse was, you did that by the power of Satan. So Jesus' explanation was, that does, that's so ridiculous because Satan wouldn't cast out his own demon. Satan wants his demon to destroy and hurt and harm, it has to be a different power, Jesus was saying. So he deals with that. But what we see in what is so common in society is just the excuses and the justifications that become so ridiculous to the very plain and simple things of truth and things of the word of God. Jesus is warning us about that. Don't do that. Don't be that person to ignore the obvious and the the detrimental effects of rejecting and ignoring and excusing yourself away from the word of God is ultimately damnation and hell. So that's a big deal. It's an eternal deal. And Jesus warns about this very problem of improperly rejecting the word of God, the truth of God, the power of God working through his very words. We can see that from the text and just by observation, that happens in a lot of different ways. And probably in a a, a setting like this, the most common way, maybe the most uh, maniacal or maniacal way is that we acknowledge in our head the things that are going on of, oh, that's, that's nice, that's good, but we don't do anything about it. Being what James says is hearers of the word and not doers of the word. Pastor Chuck Smith in his uh, devotional had a very good word about that, and he uh, called it the sin of doing nothing. Here's just a little excerpt from that. It says, God called his people to action. You have been saved to serve, to be doers of the words. He says, so many times we hear the word of God and we say, right on, man. That is so true. But then we don't do anything. If the word of God does not bring you into action, you are building your life on sand. And so this is what we see Jesus dealing with. And this is what we want to be warned about and be sober minded about. In our text, there's really just uh, two things that we're going to look at in regards to the proper response to the word of God. Repenting and responding. Watch 
and see how Jesus deals with this flagrant disregard of the truth of God. First, he's dealing with repentance. In verse 29, notice this. So that now is that the story continues. It says, while the crowds were thickly gathered together, Luke 12, 1 says there were innumerable multitude of people in there trampling one another, just to give you a perspective of what was going on. So Jesus says this to this huge crowd that's gathering. This is an evil generation. That is exactly the opposite thing that many churches are preaching today. In many churches today, there will be hordes and masses of people trampling each other to get in. And there will be nothing said about the need to repent of your sins, to turn from your sins. Instead, there will be preaching and teaching that the Bible calls tickling your ears. The Bible says in the last days, people will heap up, like build up a mound of teachers who will tickle people's ears because there will be a time where they do not put up with sound doctrine. People just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to know what the Word of God says. And I find it fascinating in a time and age when so much preaching is focused on building up an individual's life in this world so that they can have their best life now instead of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, warning them of the danger that would come if they don't repent of their sins. And Jesus didn't have any problem calling out a wicked generation. Why did he do that? Because he was concerned about their eternal condition. He was more concerned about how they were going to spend their eternity. And in order, in order for them to do that, they had to recognize and realize that they were evil, that they were rejecting the very God that was right before them. They were rejecting the truth. They were attributing what he did to the work of Satan. They were making excuses. And, and now they're saying, well, give us more signs. Why were they saying that? Notice what Jesus says right after he says that you're an evil generation. He says, it seeks a sign. That's why they were an evil generation. Why is that evil? To seek a sign. It's because not just that they were seeking a sign, it's because they were using that, that question to delay the truth that they need to respond and repent to God. In other words, they were just saying, give me a sign after Jesus had already given them multitude of signs. So that's one way that we put off what really we need to do, and that is repent. One way to put off repenting is, is saying, well, I'm not sure I need to 
see God do something real right now. And you hear people say things like, if God was re- if he's real, show me right now. And there's some kind of expectation of send a lightning bolt down or do something dramatic. And when we do that, we're testing the Lord. When we do that, we're saying and ordering God around. Instead of saying, God has already revealed himself in so many different ways. And what I am really doing is just rejecting the need to repent of my sins and turn to the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why sign-seeking instead of truth-seeking is a sin. God has given signs. God has given evidence. God has done everything that can possibly be done to reveal himself to us. But what we find in the Bible is that more sign doesn't necessarily bring more belief. We find that if a person is sign-driven or sign-dependent, that they never come to a true trusting faith in Jesus Christ. They're just sign-seekers. They just need some sort of zinger or zapper or something to get them excited all the time. When in reality, we have the word of God and Jesus is calling them to respond to the word of God, not to just keep seeking signs. So he says this this is an evil practice to be like this and, and seek signs and reject the revelation that you have already it's evil to do that because you're just rejecting repenting and you're putting it off but he says i will give you a sign there will be one sign and he says it's the sign of jonah the prophet he says in verse 30 for as jonah became a sign to the ninevites so also the son of man will be to this generation So he's comparing now the ministry of Jonah in the Old Testament as he's comparing his life to Jonah's life. He's validating that the story and the account of Jonah being swallowed by a whale and spit out after three days on land is true and valid. But what he's saying here is, He's saying, look, all the way back in the time of Jonah, there was a prophet. And this prophet, he himself, he hated these people called the Ninevites. He hated them so bad that he knew if he went there out of obedience to God sending him to the Ninevites, And if he preached there, he knew they would get saved. That's why he didn't want to go. He didn't want them to be saved. He understood, didn't he understand the power of the message, the power of the word of God? He knew if if he went there and spoke the word of God, the Ninevites, who, by the way, were pagan, were barbaric, were evil, were conquerors of the northern kingdom of Israel, And he didn't want to go there. So as he's rejecting God's word, God has his way, and God brings him to the land of Nineveh. 
And, and if you, you read his message to the Ninevites, it was simply you'd walk around and say, repent. That's what he'd say. Repent. That was, he didn't have a three-point outline, didn't have an introduction or a conclusion. Seemed like he didn't want to put a lot of effort into it. And Jesus is using this illustration to the people he's talking about, and we can say that he'd be talking the same thing to us as he's saying, look, there was, there was an evil, pagan nation of people. And these people, as they heard the word of God, they repented. And Jesus is saying, now I'm here amongst my own people. And I'm speaking the word of God as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies that you, of all people, speaking to the Jewish people, you should know who I am. And you're rejecting me. And there was a pagan nation who barely heard a message and barely had an unwilling prophet, and they received me. And he's using this as a, a testimony against them. It's the preaching of the message of repentance from Jonah, but then it's also then this final sign of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as Matthew 12.40 tells us, that the sign of Jonah, Matthew 12, 40 says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the sign of Jonah then was Jonah being sort of resurrected from the dead or being spit out from a whale. And that was a picture of Jesus being resurrected from the dead. But the point is this. The point is, repentance is what is necessary upon hearing the word of God. And excuses and the failure to respond are often the result of someone just not wanting to repent of their sins. But he gives another example. In verse 31, he says, the queen of the south, reaching back to 1 Kings 10 and 2 Chronicles 9, the queen of Sheba, if you may recall. So the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, she will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So that another illustration, another testimony against the failure to respond. And so oftentimes we, we validate our lack of responding and saying, well, if God really wanted me, he would do this. And if God really wanted me to be a Christian, then this wouldn't have happened or that wouldn't have happened. And so Jesus is going back and saying, look at the people that did respond. Look at the Ninevites. And now he's saying, look at the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba, 
heard about the wisdom of Solomon. So Solomon was ordained with a supernatural wisdom, a godly wisdom. And when he would speak, he would speak the wisdom of God. And she would be uh, someone from a pagan nation, someone from that was a woman that wouldn't be as looked at highly in their uh, customs and traditions. She was rich. She would be someone that 1,300 miles away, she heard about the wisdom being spoken forth by Solomon. And you know what she did? She was, she was willing to travel there. Jesus was right in the midst of the Jewish people. She was willing to travel about 1,300 miles, which in those days was very difficult to do. Why was that? It's because the truth is such a draw. The word of God is such a draw. It's amazing to me that we've come to a place in American culture where the word of God is something that people don't want to hear anymore, even in the church. The Queen of Sheba, the Queen of Sheba came and was driven to hear the word from Solomon And she pressed on from the ends of the earth, it says, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then he says, indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. In other words, look what she did and her determination to hear the truth, to hear the word of God and her willingness to do that. And here the word of God is right in front of you and you're rejecting it. Listen to how she responded when she heard the word of God coming from Solomon. 2 Chronicles 9, verse 8. She says she hears the wisdom of Solomon. She sees what God is doing in and through his life. She's blown away. And she says, blessed be the Lord your God. So she's blessing the God of Israel. She says, who delighted in you, Solomon. She is seeing God's works in the life of Solomon and she's praising God for it. Setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God because your God has loved Israel. So she had a correct theology on Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. So think about all that's coming out of her life from this interaction with the truth. The truth had truly set her free. And we find in our text that that she's saved because she's going to stand in judgment of the people that reject the word of God. So she's going to to be there. She's saved. Her interaction uh, with the word of God through Solomon caused a reaction in her that caused her to repent of everything that she thought and believed and and held her faith in. She repented of all that because of the word of God. So we have the, the testimony of the queen of the south. We have the testimony of Jonah. Look at verse 32. He goes and explains the testimony of the men of Nineveh. He says, the men of Nineveh, they will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it too. In other words, those in the time of Nineveh, they repented as they heard the word 
And now those who don't repent, they will stand in judgment of those people. It says, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And that's really the the point of this whole passage. Repenting at hearing the word of God. Not just hearing it, not just nodding your head, not just uh, filing it in your cabinet, not just putting it away somewhere, but doing something, and, and primarily it's, it's repenting. What does that really mean? When we hear the word of God, it brings a light to the things that we are doing wrong or the things that are wrong about us. And so we make the adjustment to turn from what we are doing and who we are to turn to the things of God and who he is. Primarily and firstly, it's to be saved. So to be saved, we turn from our ways and we turn to God's ways. And that's how one becomes saved, by putting their faith in Christ, whereas before they were trusting in something other than Christ. But then as believers, as we read the word of God, we have to constantly make adjustments according to what the word of God is telling us. That's the practical repentance that we see in the word of God. So these men of Nineveh, it says, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater Jonah is here, and the greater Jonah, of course, was Jesus. And so first off, we see the primary importance of properly interacting with the truth. The Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living, active, sharper, than any two-edged sword. And so when we're interacting with it, then the word of God is the truth, the truth that sets us free. And what we're doing is repenting from our way and putting our faith in God's way. That's how we interact. And, and as I was looking at this and praying about this and studying this, I, I realized that's a, a big thing that, that as Christians that we fail to do instead of just reading and mentally assenting to what it's saying, but there has to be, if, it, if it's appropriate and necessary, there has to be a repentance. There has to be a turning, and that's part of the sanctification process, is the Word is constantly revealing truth to us, and we're repenting of the things that, that are not of the truth in our life practically, and, and we're now turning and walking in the things of God. And as we do that practically, then what's happening is we're being sanctified. We're growing more in our relationship with God. We're, we're, our, our pride, our, our idols, and all those things are being destroyed, and we're coming alive spiritually. And that's why the word is so important, because it brings us alive spiritually. What were the words of condemnation to the people that Jesus was talking about specifically? In our text, they didn't respond to the word of God. And the way they didn't respond is by making excuses. And because of that, John 3.19 comes into play, which says this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So it's an unwillingness to turn because one prefers darkness and the way of sin over the things of God. 
The second thing in regards to hearing and keeping the word of God after repenting is then responding. Responding in a real way. Responding in an active way. Responding in a a way where we actually do something about it. And this is what Jesus now brings home to conclude this section of Scripture. So in verse 33, he just gives us this illustration to help us understand what he means. He says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but instead on a lampstand that those who come in, they may see the light. So Jesus is referring to himself. He's referring to himself in that he is the light. When he came, he was the light coming into darkness, and he didn't do anything to hide himself. He was doing what he was doing publicly for everyone to see. He was doing it in a way where he wanted everybody to see because he wanted to draw all men to himself through the truth of God. And he's saying that in context of the people who are saying other things about what Jesus was doing, saying the wrong things about what Jesus was doing. And he's correcting that and saying, no, when I came, I came as a light and I was doing it in front of everybody. What sense does it make to, to have a flashlight and go out in the backyard and try to find snakes or whatever, or a noise you hear in the backyard, and then you cover it up so it doesn't work. That's what he's saying. It's ridiculous what you're saying. And it's, it's important because he's saying the light of God is shining in your hearts right now. So he's telling them that, but also for us. He's saying the word of God is illuminating the truth of God because we are in the Bible. Now the, the light, it's, it's not hidden. It's exposed. It's out there. And so he's saying it's not hidden. And those who, the purpose of that is not to hide God's light, but to shine God's light. But watch this. We all have a responsibility to respond to the light that we have, to respond to the living word. And that's where, what, like what we're doing here, this is not the only context, but just for example, so what we're doing here is not just one person doing one thing that way. What's happening is, is it's all of us, including myself, interacting with the Word of God. It's all of us here together hearing what God is saying and presenting ourselves to the truth of God's Word and asking God to lead, guide, and direct us so that we can see His Word and then do something about His Word. This is an interaction where we see it uh, like Matthew 13, the parable of the sower and the seeds where we see the, the seed is the word of God, the soil is our heart, and we, have to, we are responsible for the soil of our heart. We are responsible for receiving the word of God, accepting it, and then 
acting on it. We're responsible for that. So the Bible doesn't talk as much about osmosis. We're just being around the word of God somehow is going to penetrate our heart, but it, it requires something from the receiving end to where we're receiving it in a willing way to surrender and submit to it. And this is what Jesus is getting at, this responding to the light. But then the living part, look what he says in verse 34. He says, the lamp of the body then is the eye. So it's through our eye that light comes in. If, if I close my eyes and then blindfold myself, then there could be light here, but I wouldn't see it. That's what he's saying. He's saying the, the light's there. The light's the truth. The light's the word of God. But we may not see it, and that's our fault and our responsibility. That's what he's trying to say. It's not, it's not his responsibility. It's the responsibility of the hearer. Because they don't want to see, because their eye is bad. So he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, what does that mean? That means that you're open wide in your sight, in your eyes to receive the things that God is saying. That means your eye is good. If your eye is good, then he says, your whole body is full of light. So as, as we see the word and submit ourselves to the word and allow the word of God to come in and then we act on the word. That means we're seeing spiritually and then our spiritual sight, we have eyes to see, then it's affecting our whole self. It's affecting our life. But if your eye is bad, so like, like someone who can't see very well, then your body is full of darkness. He's speaking about the people who will not see what is obvious and they can't see because they don't want to see. And because of that, then their actions are dark. Because of that, they're attributing the works of Jesus to Satan. So in verse 35, here's the warning. Therefore, take heed or pay attention or watch out that the light which is in you is not darkness. So that you're, in other words, seeing what God is saying and allowing it into your life. Verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, so receiving the truth of God and accepting it, taking it, taking it in, your whole body will be full of light. As when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. And so that's then the taking in of the word of God. It's sort of like taking in an amazing sunset. So if you take in an amazing sunset, you have to see it. And as you see it, you're receiving it. And it's in a way, it's affecting you if you like what you're seeing. He's saying, take God's word, take the truth. And take it in and begin to allow God's word to have light, to have a light inside of you so that now you can go out in action, living out the word of God. And that's the, that's the whole message here. 
that he's saying, that this plane is landing here on this landing strip of God saying his word. It's a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. His word is profitable. His word has been given to us as a great treasure. His word will revive us. His word will restore us. It is the food for our soul. It is what grows us. It is what sets us free. It is what we build our life on. It is what we enact our life on. It is the solid foundation of doing God's word and doing God's work. It's the word of God. And because of that, there is an attack from Satan on the word of God. Satan does not want the word of God preached, taught, taken in. He doesn't want people exposed to the word of God. And that's why it's so important. We know the word of God is so important to us. The word of God is sufficient for all of our needs. And God has called us to be master swordsmen with the word of God. To take the word of God and use it practically in our life. And as we do that, we will now enter into a walk with God to where God is ruling and reigning in our life, shining through us and fulfilling in our hearts and our minds the things that we can never imagine. It is the truth. It is the word. Read it. Keep it. Do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I want to pray uh, first and foremost for anybody here or listening who has never been born again, anybody who's never had their sins forgiven, anybody that if they were to die today, they would not know where they would spend eternity. I want to pray for you now. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. And that's physical and spiritual, separated from God for all eternity. But that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That whoever would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and rose from the dead, that they would be saved. So salvation is simply a prayer away. As you pray now to God to forgive you of your sins, to have mercy on you, as you make that decision to put your faith in Him, to turn from your sins, the Bible says that you will be a new creation in Christ. You will be born again. And so I invite you to do that now, right where you're at. Just cry out to Jesus. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I put my faith in you now. Just tell Him that. And for those of us who are believers and are born again, 
if we've lost our way or gotten caught up in the things of the world, may this be an opportunity to reset. If we've drifted from your word, may we come back to your word. Remember from where we've fallen. May we be like the Queen of Sheba who would go from the ends of the earth to hear your word. Lord, help us not to be complacent and take advantage of the plethora of Bibles and materials and offerings of the word of God. I pray, Lord, that we would come to a place where we would make it our life to be people of the word. That it would be our pleasure, our vacation, our joy, our day off to spend time with you and spend time in your word. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord. Stir up that hunger, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. And we're going to worship the Lord before we go. If anyone would like prayer this morning about anything, feel free as we sing this last song to come up front. We'll have our prayer teams up here for you. I know there's a, a lot going on in all of our lives. And one of the greatest things that we can do is just take the opportunity to pray to the Lord. And so we'll have our prayer team up here and Let's just uh, now take this opportunity to worship the Lord. So God bless you guys.